Hey guys, Mickey here, and just a quick note before we start the podcast, this one was not recorded under ideal circumstances, so not only did Angie and I have some microphone issues and background noise, but you will also hear my mom knock on my door, my brother start up the tractor while we were trying to record. We wanted to get you guys this info as quickly as possible, but we were not able to create our usual studio-like atmosphere. So bear with us and on to the podcast. Hey everybody and welcome to a emergency pod edition of the autoimmune wellness podcast. You will notice that we're not doing our normal intro. This is Mickey speaking. I've got Angie over there in Maryland. Hi guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we are not in our regular podcast flow, which a lot of you are probably like, what's happened to you ladies? It's like been years, but we've been trying to get back to the podcast and apparently it's taken a global pandemic to force us to sit down in front of a microphone and make something happen. Right, Angie? Yeah. Forgive us guys. We've both had tons going on in our personal lives. So we had to figure out how to make space in our professional lives. And unfortunately the podcast got cut, but we're back today because we realize it's time to talk. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, Angie, but I've just been feeling like there is so much information and so many people sharing out there that I've actually been holding back a lot just because I'm at a loss for words. And then my usual ways of sharing, which is like writing or Instagram stories or whatever has just felt like not authentic and accessible to me. So I've, I've been really quiet. For sure. I mean, I wrote about it a few days ago on Instagram that I just felt like I needed a few weeks and didn't want to add to the noise. Um, I needed to do some of my own processing. And um, I hope our audience knows you and I have a really high ethical bar when it comes to issues like this. So I think we needed time to think that through too. And I mean, the first thing I'll mention for you guys, like we asked our medical director, Rob Abbott, to write us an article pretty early on about COVID-19, about the virus, and kind of educating the community through the lens of autoimmune disease. He did a really great job with that article. So if you're looking for a medical perspective on some of the things that we're going to talk about today, um, and maybe your risk with autoimmune disease, head over to the Autoimmune Wellness website um, and click on Rob Abbott under our team. You can find that article. It has a lot of really important information. We've gotten a lot of good feedback on that. Um, But basically today, we're going to talk about a few different topics. We just wanted to jump on and share in this way so that any of you who are going through everything right now, I mean, it's anyone anywhere in the world, here we are together and, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to protect ourselves. So um, we're going to give you guys a little info just about the virus. I know you guys are probably at information overload right now. I'm like, I'm full, but I think there are a few things that I do want to pass around because there is some misinformation out there. Um, We're going to talk about how to best protect ourselves in our community. Um, This includes things like social distancing, physical distancing. At this point, we should all be on that train. Um, We're going to talk about perfectionism and kind of, you know, is this the right time to be doing AIP, right, Angie? Like a lot of people have that question, like, should I be jumping in? Should I be making any dietary changes? What do I do? Uh, We're going to talk about preparedness. So how to prepare our homes, but also how to prepare our minds, um, our bodies. Should we contract the virus, our spirit, how to be ready, um, as ready as we can. 
And then um, lastly, we're going to talk a little bit about comparing suffering and resilience and, and basically how we can become helpers in this movement. Um, we're all going to go some, through something very big together. And, um, you know, I really believe that there are some tools in the toolbox for helping us all band together and uh, do the best we can. So you ready to jump in? I'm ready. All right. So first, um, you know, just some of the basics. You guys probably know by now this uh, virus is a strain of coronavirus, which is a type of virus that um, creates a disease called COVID-19 in a human. So you might hear people say coronavirus. You might hear people say COVID. The, t- the correct term for the disease is COVID-19. This is the disease people are getting when they come in contact with the virus. Um, It's spread mostly by human contact. So, you know, a lot of you may be hearing things about how it spreads. Um, Most often it's spread by being in the presence of a sick person. So I really want to reiterate this fact because we're going to talk a lot about protecting yourself through things like going to the store, um, packages, that kind of thing. But really the the research that is coming out shows that actual contact with a sick human is how it spreads. And, and so we'll talk a little bit more about the implications of that. But it lives on surfaces for a relatively short period of time. So 24 hours-ish on cardboard, 48 to 72 hours on metal and plastic. If you guys are hearing that like a sick person touches something and that something has a viral presence for two weeks, um, that's just not the case. We don't need to have that high level of fear. Um, One thing that they are finding is that the transmission through the air is a little bit more robust than they thought. So, um, you know, if someone coughs or sneezes, those droplets are in the air for about 30 minutes and then if you were to like you know ruffle or pick something up like if it's on fabric it can kind of disperse those droplets again Um, so as of right now I think the CDC is looking at revising their recommendations for people wearing face masks my personal take is leave the face masks for the professionals and if you can do some sort of DIY neck star scarf sew something um, for yourself to go out that's a good um, thing to do but really the um The big takeaway is don't be around sick people. If you're a sick person, don't go out in public. And then, um, you know, there are asymptomatic people. So, you know, minimizing contact is is really the way to go. And, you know, this thing spreading rapidly throughout the world, especially the U.S., um, it's particularly aggressive with people with underlying health issues to have complications. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about what that means for those of us with autoimmune disease. Um, And, you know, if you guys have symptoms, um, assume you have it. So, Angie, you want to talk a little bit about testing and just kind of like what's going on with testing and why we might not need to know if we have it in order to act like we know? Yeah. So, unfortunately, um, testing is still not very widespread in the U.S. Um, It's really kind of coming down to being very critically ill before people will get tested or being frontline health workers and in uh, in order to be able to access testing. And even beyond that, there's starting to be information showing that a lot of the testing is inaccurate, maybe as much as 30 percent of the tests are inaccurate, um, according to some information that Chris Kresser shared this morning. So um, the best thing to do is just assume if you have the symptoms, you do have the COVID-19 virus. Um, This is the best way to protect other people instead of just going, oh, well, this is probably just nothing, blah, blah, blah. Just assume you do have it and take the appropriate steps to quarantine yourself. 
Yeah, and I, I'm going to talk a little bit about my experience. Um, you know, we, we've been isolating ourselves for my husband and I for about three weeks now. And really early on, he is a frontline healthcare worker. He's a firefighter and he has contact, known contact with people that have had the virus and, and you know, the scope of what he does for a living. Um, but he started feeling sick about two weeks ago and right away he informed his employer. We, he took a sick day. Um, they tested him. The testing process, you guys, it, it takes a long time to get the results. Um, it was not immediate. He was fully feeling better by the time he got the result, which came back negative. But he ended up taking a full eight days off from work, which was a long time. And we went from the uh, physical distancing, social distancing, like trying to minimize contact to then thinking that we had it and self-quarantining, which is a little bit different. So a lot of people are using that word quarantine when actually they mean um, social distancing because quarantining actually means that you are not going out at all in order to risk, um, not risk contamination of anybody outside your home. So during that time when we didn't know, um, we had family members who were dropping things off on our porch. If we even went outside and sat on a deck chair here on the farm, I would send a text to everybody in my family saying, hey, I sat in that chair today. Um, you know, we weren't going in the barns and touching things. And, you know, I know I live in a situation where we have a little more outdoor space. So it's a little different than people that live in cities or suburbs or even within a family unit. But just that mental shift of thinking I might have it is a really good way to think about why, even if you don't think you have it and you feel fine, um, we've heard that maybe up to 30 to 50% of people can have it and not have any symptoms. So you might be one of those people going out into the world and touching things and getting other people sick um, and just um, use have that be fuel for your trying to not go out if you're um, doing physical distancing, you know, for me now that, you know, the test came back negative and I'm going back out to the grocery store, I'm really trying to think like, can I really stretch my vegetables and go out every two weeks? It's hard. <laughs> Angie and I were just having a, a chat where we were like, how are we making vegetables last for longer than a week? Like, it's not easy, you guys. But um, if everybody does that part and tries to figure out, you know, how they can go a few more days, we might um, be able to save some some lives, you know? Right. All right, so um, let's start by talking about protecting ourselves and protecting our families and protecting our communities. Yeah, I mean, the thing that we should all be doing right now is what is being termed social distancing. Um, and, you know, this just means mostly staying in our homes with only our family members with us, um, not having people over to our homes, not going over to other people's homes, not needlessly going out in the community, you know, spending time at restaurants or to, you know, gathering um, at public spaces, even if they're out outdoor spaces, um, trying to limit, like we were just talking about, trying to limit how much you're in the grocery store, um, you know, not really going to medical appointments that aren't absolutely necessary, all those things. Um, unfortunately, we've had a really um, uneven response to this across the United States. Some states um, acted early on this and, you know, ordered their, the people, the residents in their states to take these steps and, you know, close schools and things like that. And in other places, they're still dragging their feet on it, which is really a bummer um, because it's allowing the virus to continue spreading so rapidly. Um, 
I think the really big thing to realize here is that we're using this term social distancing, but that really makes it feel like a little bit of an emotional um emotional drop off. And, and that's not really what it is. We really should probably be using the term physical distancing, which means we're not trying to be in physical contact with each other in order to protect ourselves and each other, you know, um, at our house, when you come in the front door, there's a great big red poster on the door saying all the steps that we have to take to try to protect ourselves if we had to go outside and be in public anywhere. And the first thing it says with big stars is you're responsible for protecting yourself and your family and your community. And that's what physical distancing is about. It doesn't mean that we can't emotionally be supporting one another through all the virtual ways that we all know how to use. Can you tell me a little more, Angie, about what you guys are doing um, when you guys go out and then like what, what you're doing as a family to stay connected and like socially engaged? We have in our home right now, basically five adults. <laughs> so we have my husband and myself and our 19 year old daughter and our 17 year old niece. And then we also decided to socially distance um, and include um a friend of my daughter who's also 19, you know, they've been really good friends for like three years. So this was partly an effort to help them, you know, kind of deal with the emotional impact of being 19 and having to go through a global pandemic. Um, if you can imagine, remember when you were 19 and how much time you spent with your friends, this is a big blow to them. So um, it was partly that decision. Also, you know, his mom um, has lost her job. And right now, Dave and I are still working. So this was a little bit of a way for us to be supportive of his family and help ease some of the strain that they're under right now. So with the five adults, um, he and my daughter, they are actually still working because their jobs are essential jobs. Um, they're both providing food either for pets or for people. And so they still have their jobs, although they only have a few shifts a week. So our rules are that when you have to go out and, for instance, be at your job, you come back. When you get in the house, you have to remove your shoes. You should have only one pair of shoes that's going outside of the house. They need to be removed right there at the front door. Then you immediately need to wash your hands. Then you need to take a sanitizing wipe that we have sitting by the front door and wipe down all the surfaces you touched when you came in the door. Then go to your room, remove your clothing. Do not rewear that clothing. That clothing needs to be washed right away and then go shower. That's the steps that we're um, taking when we have to go out. My husband and I are only going out once a week in order to shop for the whole family. Yep. Sound. I, I think that in your situation, Angie, you're kind of like, I could use some social distancing from these teenagers, but, um, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, yeah. Life um, over, over here is a little bit, you know, not super atypical because my husband's a firefighter. So he is working every three days. Um, I'm trying to work from home, which is not atypical for me, but, um, also staying on task with everything going on is really hard. Um, but I do live in a farm unit where, you know, my mom and my sister and my brother and their families all live on the same property, but we're all practicing physical distancing from each other within our own units. So I do spend a lot of time like talking through open windows and actually like texting and using different apps to communicate with my siblings and my mom, even though, you know, we, we can't be physically together. I realize being on a farm is a lot easier, um, but I've seen other people um, doing like little like block parties with their neighbors where, you know, they just 
put out a lawn chair at the end of their drive and, you know, hang out and kind of talk loud. And, you know, we've been doing a lot of that um, and also minimizing going out but that you know the, the grocery shopping's been hard Angie and we'll talk a little bit more about that but we had to just go down to one person going in the store because getting my husband and I both on the same plan of like who's gonna touch the things and who's gonna touch the bags and who's gonna do the checkout it's like with two people it's a little bit too much to manage and so now um, he, one is driving and then the other is going into the store. And I think that's a much easier thing and also more respectful to everybody else in the store because two bodies is harder to physically distance from other people. Yeah. I mean, as far as staying connected, like you were talking about, you know, so our family's trying to have like an, a, roughly an activity a day that we do together, maybe watch a show, maybe, go for a walk in our neighborhood with our dogs. Um, maybe, uh, you know, some other, you know, last night we played, um, a board game together. Um, on Saturdays or Sundays, we're doing a zoom coloring contest with my sister's family who is, uh, self, you know, um, social distancing in Montana. Um, so we're doing something like that. We've been doing, um, a zoom happy hour on Fridays with a group of friends. We're all, we also have a huge text thread going where a group of friends and my husband and I are creating playlists together on Spotify. Everybody has to take a turn and add a song to whatever the theme of the playlist is. That's been pretty fun. Um, Mickey and I have been using um, a new app to talk together, like message together. It's not with, new, um, Angie. It's just new, like well, new among to me. non-millennials. Yes. It's called Marco Polo. New to me, the Gen <laughs> Xer. It's so good that I have Mickey, my millennial friend. Um, so we've been doing messaging together there, and that's been keeping us in touch. Um, I mean, I have to be honest that in some ways I'm staying better connected to all my friends and family than I really ever have before you know everybody's making a lot of effort to stay emotionally present for each other and um i think that's worth it you know the, the other night i i took a phone call at 12:30 at night from my best friend who lives in india i mean she needed to talk and so we're just making it work so i i'm i'm really proud of everybody to, you know putting in all that effort right now yeah. I mean, it's been a mixed bag for me. Like I've had some, like some family situations have been kind of stressful communicating, but I mean, there are some extroverts out there that are really having a hard time right now, you guys. So I've been like <laughs> making sure to like check in with my extroverts because I'm definitely an introvert. Uh, and so I'm kind of like being holed up at home is not the worst thing in my world, but I recognize the people in my life who really are going stir crazy and need some constant input. And I'm making an effort to like get, get in there, get in their world. And a lot of people, you know, are not working or need a distraction and need to be talking about something that's not this virus. So it's actually been um, kind of nice in some ways with some people just reconnecting with, with people that for, for some reason, you know, we just couldn't make the time or we couldn't connect. So that's actually been really refreshing. So, yeah. I think yeah. we kind of um, covered, you know, going out as safely as possible for like food or medicine, but, you know, washing hands. Um, I don't think we've covered this yet, but 
you know, I haven't seen hand sanitizer. I don't have any hand sanitizer. Um, that's not something that I was able to procure. Um, I was actually with Angie here in Oregon um, at the NTA conference, uh, the very beginning of March when this started to happen in Oregon. There was a, like many outbreaks in the US at that point, but we had our first case announced in Oregon and we were together. And Angie looked at me and was like, you need to go buy toilet paper. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> what? And, and it, it's like her snowstorm, East Coast snowstorm experience just told her, like, just get the toilet paper, um, <laughs> which is funny because we went to like stock up on some food um, for the conference while we were there at New Seasons. And I grabbed a couple um, big packs of toilet paper, just like whatever. I'm going to like listen to Angie. You guys, I've not seen toilet paper since then. I swear to God, <laughs> like I've been in so many grocery stores and and I mean, like, yeah, anyway, so I got to publicly thank Angie for like the, the bait on the toilet paper. But you should have told me that I needed to get some hand sanitizer because, <laughs> um, you know, I don't have any of that. So if you guys are in the same boat, you know, you don't have hand sanitizer. The good news is, is that soap and water is what actually is most effective at getting rid of the virus because it has a lipid outside layer and the thing that breaks down that lipid membrane is the the action from the soap and actually the friction of like washing your hands so you really want to wash them really well 20 seconds you know get in between all your fingers and up on your wrists and everything um you know hot or or what was warm water as you can stand and that's going to be the best way to protect yourself of course if that's not available using hand sanitizer or wipes kind of you know to bridge the gap if you need to be outside in public or something um like i said before leave the masks and gloves for the medical professionals um there's a dire need um and there's also some proper use that a lot of people aren't educated especially with gloves um, most people take them off in a way that then contaminates their hands which makes them useless so um you know, I, I wouldn't use any masks or gloves unless you have some non-medical types. I know there's a lot of people sewing. Um, I've been using uh, like a neck cowl or like a scarf when I go out in public and then washing that when I get home. Um, yeah, and I think we talked a little bit about um, how we're going out, but you know, just taking those measures and then if you're an essential worker, um, you know, doing everything you can to minimize contact with other humans and protect yourself. Um, if you're a checker at a grocery store, thank you. Like, and if you're not a checker at a grocery store and you're a human that shops at a grocery store, thank your checker because, you know, everybody is giving a lot of airtime to the doctors and the nurses and the first responders, which, you know, they deserve a lot of credit for stepping up in, in some really scary situations, but also the people that are showing up so that we can, like, get our prescriptions filled and get our groceries and put gas in our cars, um, you know, those people deserve a lot of credit, a lot of thanks because it is a lot higher risk right now you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Those are the, those are the two 19 year olds in my house right now. I'm very grateful that they're helping keep those things running so we can access the food that we need, you know? Um, yeah, Mickey, that's so funny about the toilet paper. You guys don't hoard stuff, but I knew right at the start, you better have the basics on hand. I'm, I kind of have an unusual situation because my husband works in humanitarian response. So he kind of, he kind of picked up that clue phone pretty early in January and our family started slowly kind of, um, preparing and adding to a little bit of the, you know, stuff that we probably needed to have at home. Um, obviously with 
three teenagers. We didn't want to be in a situation with no toilet paper. <laughs> so we tried to be slowly on top of it. So hopefully everybody's kind of finding what they need now and we can be thankful to the people that are keeping it on the shelves. I just was impressed as like, you know, that was a little while ago, weeks ago, but I just kept going to the store and there was no toilet paper, but like there was all the other food. There was meat, there was rice. And I mean, in the last couple of weeks, things have really decreased. We're going to talk about that later, different supply issues with different foods. But I just kept being like, I don't really think that we have a food supply problem or that the food's going to run out because like really the only thing that's gone is like hand sanitizer and toilet paper, you know, <laughs> and I think it's a pretty good, uh, you know, gauge of like, what do people do when they don't know what else to do? Apparently they buy toilet paper. Um, you know, so, um, you know, if you guys are essential workers, you know, doing everything you can to protect yourself, um, you know, there are good practices depending on what you're doing, the type of interactions that you're having. There are people who are going to work every day and, and are encountering this virus and are doing the best they can to not get it, um, at varying, varying levels. So, you know, try not to have too much fear about, you know, being around someone who's sick or potentially encountering them, you know, if you have good practices, whatever that your role is, maybe even like a grocery store checker. I know the place that I'm shopping at, um, they are enabling more physical distance in the checkout process. Everybody's wearing gloves, um, where they're doing touchless um, payments. Um, a lot of them are doing like curbside delivery. Those types of things are not only protecting us, but they're protecting the employees that work there and keeping them safe. Um, so, you know, if, if you work for some place that's doing that, great. If you don't, like, take some notes from some other places and give them to your manager because they need to get with it. All right, let's talk about perfectionism, perfectionism Angie. Like, is this, mm -hmm. like, if, if someone out there is like, you know what, I was, like, just about to start AIP, like, what do I do? Is this the right time? You know what? So here's the thing. Uh, this is really kind of interesting because I was just starting a brand new group of AI peers with my SAD to AIP in six program at the beginning of March. Um, and as you can imagine, this has really changed the way that we would normally do the process together. And so I sat down um, at the beginning of all this and recorded a video for them and went through every single elimination that you would make with AIP and told them where it would be smart to modify the process, um, encouraged them that if they're very stressed or having a lot of difficulty um, you know, getting the kinds of foods they need because of, uh, you know, shortage issues where they're at, so food sourcing issues where they're at, or because of, you know, needs for quarantine, et cetera, like don't stress out about it. It's, it's not the time to worry about it. Um, you know, in some ways I've had, um, the chance as a coach to kind of prepare for this over the years, because I've been doing this for so long in big groups of people that almost every time I run the program, somebody experiences some kind of emergency. And we've actually gone through a lot of natural disasters in our group together. You know, we've had folks who made it through hurricanes and flooding in Houston. We've had folks who made it through fires in California, um, you know, we even had some folks a few years ago who went through a tornado in the Midwest. Like, um, so th that was my opportunity to be able to really have perspective in those situations and realize that you cannot have AIP for perfectionism in a situation like that and, and really learn that 
telling folks, you know, kind of giving permission to folks that if you're in a crisis situation, no diet, none, not even AIP is more important than that emergency. It's, it's better to take care of the emergency in front of you and you can reset later on. You can make up some healing ground later on. Um, you kind of need to figure out what are the must-haves for you personally. For instance, Mickey and I are celiacs. We're going to do everything possible to never compromise on the gluten because that's going to put us in a bad position um, to be our healthiest in the midst of an emergency. But, you know, we might have to compromise in other areas. And we're, I, I think it's best to encourage folks, if they need to make those compromises, make them. And there's some smart ways to modify AIP to get there. Yeah, I mean, so so let's talk, uh, let's put people in, in maybe two categories. Let's say like there's new people who are like looking at maybe they were going to embark on AIP, but then this happened. And then there's people who maybe have been doing this for a long time. I think the advice is a little bit different for both yeah. of them. So if you were somebody who was just starting or trying to work through the elimination phase, like what do you think that they should focus on right now? They should probably start with a really heavily modified approach. So maybe they're only going to do gluten-free or maybe gluten-free, dairy-free. Um, maybe they're just going to kind of do a paleo template for right now. Um, I do think that if there are folks who have already tried, already started to eliminate nightshades, they probably do want to stick with that. Nightshades can be especially um, provoking to the immune system for people with autoimmune disease. So if, as much as possible, if they can continue to avoid the nightshades, they're probably better off. But those are kind of the biggies. Everything else is kind of up for compromise. Um, for instance, when we're talking about being grain-free on on the autoimmune protocol. Maybe in a situation like this, you need to think about a compromise like white rice, which is an easily available and shelf-stable food. Um, maybe cook it with broth and make sure to include fat with it to help, you know, kind of with the nutrient density and the blood sugar hit that we sometimes get from a food like white rice. But that's like a smart compromise to make. Or maybe some of the shelf-stable legumes, maybe this is something to compromise on if you're not there yet and you're early in this process. Um, you know, maybe don't cut those out. You can get a lot of canned goods and a lot of dried bean goods, and that could be something that could help, um, you know, keep you in food stocks for right now. Yeah, I think the new folks are going to be thinking more in terms of potential triggers. And I think the mm -hmm. people who've been doing this for a while, and that's going to be like the category of you and I, Angie, are the people who have had a lot of reintroductions under our belt. And we know exactly mm -hmm. how these foods affect us. So, mm -hmm. you know, so if you've done AIP, you've done some reintroductions, you have some what we commonly call gray area foods, you know, for the new people, they might not have that gray area list yet. Like they might not mm -hmm. know like white mm -hmm. rice or eggs. You know, those are things that are a little more shelf stable that um, also nutrient dense in a way that, you know, carbs or nutrients or protein or whatever can be handy in this situation. Um, a new person going in might not know that that's a trigger. So you just have to kind of make a guess. Like I think the nightshades are a really good recommendation, especially for anyone that has some joint pain, um, gluten, dairy, but, you know, kind of beyond that, you know, when you get down to things that are actually really helpful, um, like nuts and seeds and eggs and rice and legumes, you know, you might pick and choose based on what you know, but really you don't know. 
people who've been doing this for a while, you know, I know how those gray area foods affect me. I know that I'm okay with white rice. And the reason why I choose to minimize it in my diet normally is just because it's not very nutritious. It's just a source of carbohydrate. But in this situation, if I can use it to stretch the, the otherwise nutrient dense meals that I'm making. So maybe if I'm making soups or stews or chilies, that those ingredients are harder to come by right now. If I'm adding a little white rice to everything, that's just gonna make it go a little bit further. So, you know, I also have like some lentils, some split peas. I don't do well with like beans, like black beans or garbanzo beans. So those are out. Um, but you know, for those of you guys that have been working AIP for a while, whatever that gray area food is for you, like Angie, I know that you do okay with some dairy, you know, you might have some different, um, types of dairy that you could, that you could keep in right now. And, and that's okay. This super perfect, perfect strict AIP, um, during a crisis is probably not realistic for, for most people you know? No, it's not. And it's also stress producing and you don't really need to add to your stress, you know, at any, the holding on to, you know, a quote unquote, perfect AIP elimination phase might be more stressful in this situation than it is beneficial. You mm -hmm. know, you might mm -hmm. undo the positive effects of doing that anyway, because you're so stressed out trying to maintain it. Um, you know, these are the kind of steps to take, you know, keep it in perspective. And one thing that I tried to share with my group members is, you know, I have, I have been doing this long enough that I know that if I have a setback with healing, I can make ground later on when things have calmed down. So that's like a little insider tip. If you're worried about the setback you might have by needing to make some food compromises right now, there's time later to heal just like you've been doing the healing now you you can you can take that up again later and right now try to minimize your stress around food well i also think that there's a big like that we always talk about the ebbing and flowing you know yeah. at some points we know that we can tighten things up and achieve more deep healing through you know really tightening up the diet and lifestyle and then we know that we can actually experience more um flexibility and Sometimes that looks like, you know, being able to go on vacation and eat at restaurants and eat some things that we normally wouldn't eat in, in the name of having a good time and an expansive life. Also, sometimes that might mean going through a global pandemic and yeah. not being able to get all of like our, you know, choice, nutrient dense, safe foods, um, whatever that situation is, we have that skill. That is something that I think we learn as people that have gone through this elimination and reintroduction. We, we have a way of determining what food are working for us. And so you can use that to your advantage in this situation by creating a, a list of safe foods that hopefully is a little more expanded. Um, maybe it's not perfect, maybe it's not ideal, but it can help you get through this without um, that source of perfectionism stress, you know? Right. In a situation like this, probably the amongst the top five skills you could have is some adaptability. Um, yep. Perfectionism is not a skill that's going to serve you at the moment. <laughs> agree. Yeah, agree. Maybe, Mickey, we could talk um, a little bit about foods to stock up on in terms of like practicality. For instance, mm -hmm. a minute ago, you mentioned like that, you know, that I can tolerate a little bit more dairy. And so maybe that's something I can include in my diet. Here's the thing, though, guys, I'm not actually stocking up very much on any dairy products because 
they don't keep very long. Mm -hmm. So there's some practical choices to be made too right now. So like Mickey, for instance, what are you doing in terms of practicality around the veggies? Yeah, so the first thing I want to say before we even talk about food supply is that we currently don't have a food shortage in the U.S. So there is a lot of supply issue due to people who, you know, my, my take on this is that our food system is built to um, accommodate the way that people normally shop at a grocery store, how many people eat out at restaurants. Uh, we know that people rely a lot on restaurants, takeout, on convenience foods, those kind of things. And so with all the restaurants being shut down, guess what? Everybody needs to buy ingredients. And guess where all the ingredients are? They're in the grocery store and mostly in the produce aisle in the meat section. So when you go into your grocery store and you see they're like completely out of avocados or they're totally out of beef or whatever, it's not because we don't have enough beef or we don't have enough avocados. It's because the people that were going to the restaurant ordering steak and guacamole or whatever are now at the store trying to compete for those same ingredients and those grocery stores have not adjusted for that flow. Everything's really erratic right now. So I just wanna to reiterate to you guys that um, you you don't need to hoard food. We don't have a food shortage. Um, you know the supply chains are readjusting because all of those suppliers that were funneling food to the restaurants are now going to have to be readjusted to funneling food to either um, you know grocery stores or you know the farmers markets are now changing to drive through and like everything is is adjusting for this. So like don't panic about food supply because I feel like. The virus is, is a stressor in itself enough, um, but also feeling like we're not gonna be able to get the food we need is adding a lot. And so, yeah, we do have to be creative. We have to be adaptable. We're gonna talk about some of those ideas, but you guys don't have to worry right now that there's like a food shortage, right? Exactly. Yeah, and then, you know, hoarding is not gonna help the situation. So, you know, when you do find food on the shelves, it can be tempting when there's, uh, you have the experience of like going, I mean, that's the whole toilet paper problem. There's no toilet paper shortage. The problem is people are just driven by not seeing toilet paper for so long that they think like, oh my God, now that the store has it, I'm going to buy all of it. Um, so if you're that person, you're part of the reason why other people don't have toilet paper. So just realize that if everybody takes what they need, there's enough to go around. So stocking up is something we're going to talk about in this section, but I want you guys to know that it doesn't mean depleting your local resources at the expense of the other people in your community. The stocking up is something that I've been doing slowly over the last few weeks and not in one huge big fell swoop. And I've been in the grocery store and talking to the checkers and they've been telling me about people that are coming in and spending one and $2,000, mm -hmm. bringing in three shopping carts worth of food and mm -hmm. just buying the whole grocery store out of certain things. And it is just wild. Don't be that person. Yeah, we, we had a conversation with a grocery checker about that same thing. She told us that she's had people come in that were getting like $900 worth of stuff at once, $1,200 worth of stuff at once. You know, we're talking about the grocery budget of entire, you know, family households for a month or more spent in one go, you know, um, it's like the stocking up process is a little bit, you know, a little extra at a time each time, you know, like 
for instance, the toilet paper. When I told Mickey at the beginning of March, you need to buy toilet paper, I didn't say, Mickey, you need to go buy six packs of toilet paper. I said, grab an extra pack of toilet paper. You know, like that's the process a little bit at a time and everybody will be able to get what they need and have a little on hand in case they need to be quarantined. Yep. So I think the goal, you know, at least for me personally, is to stock up slowly and have two to three weeks of pantry basics that you already know you will use. So don't be the person that's going to go buy all this stuff that you, you probably would never eat. Buy the things that you usually eat. Um, you know, I'm someone who doesn't rely on a lot of pantry things. I like to eat a lot of um, fresh things, but there are things that I, that I keep in my pantry. So I'm just having a little bit extra of that to get me about two to three weeks because that's about, you know, the, the course of the illness. If my husband and I got sick or, you know, we need to care for someone um, that was sick, we have that, that base, you know, already there and that feels really good. Um, so one thing that I've been doing to kind of decrease the pressure on the local system and to also minimize contact in the store is actually shopping for some pantry items online. So I'm a big fan of Thrive Market. Um, you guys were an affiliate for them. We don't have any like official sponsors for this podcast episode, but if you go to autoimmune wellness dash, um, thrive, That'll take you to their website through our affiliate link. You can also go directly to their website, um, but we really appreciate if you use our link because it helps enable us to do what we do and put out all the info through our site and social media. But they are basically an online, um, kind of like a natural foods Costco that delivers to your doorstep. And I've been a Thrive customer for five years now. Um, They sell really good um, high quality ingredients at like 30 to 40% off retail. So the savings is pretty high. And what's great about their model, since it's all through the mail, is you don't really have to worry about going into the store for those like shelf stable things. Um, and you can save a lot of money. So they like to tally up how much money you save off retail. For me in my a year of normal spending with them, I spent, I save about $750. Um, but my lifetime savings is at like 3,500 now. So it really pays, um, their membership I think is around 60 or $70 a year. So you do have to pay for the membership. It's kind of like Costco in that way. You have to do the cost benefit and see if it'll work out for you. But something that they do that I really love is that for every membership they sell, they give away a membership to somebody in need. And I know there's a lot of people out there right now. So if you've lost a job or if you're a teacher, if you're a first responder, they have all these categories you can actually apply and they might give you a free membership. So I wanted to mention that for those of you guys um, who maybe don't have the means to buy a membership right now, that's a really cool program that they have and something that I love about their mission. And another thing is that if you are somebody who can afford the $60 for a membership, knowing that your membership goes to also supporting a family who can't afford it. Um, win, 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 right? Right. Um, so, you know, of course, Amazon, you can also buy some pantry items. Um, I find the the amount of boxes you get when you order like a big load from Amazon, I don't love that. Um, but Thrive, they'll pack it all into a box. It is important to know that like all food supply right now, they're a little behind because of all the volume of ordering. But what I like about ordering from them is that um, I don't have to get as many things from the store. So 
back to your question like a year ago, Angie, <laughs> um, the things that I'm stocking up on right now in my pantry are, you know, white rice. Um, I've got some lentils and some split peas. Um, I have some chickpea pasta, which, you know, is something that's like my husband's wish list. I don't do great with it, but, you know, it's it's something. Um, I've got cassava flour, coconut flour for some, you know, physical distancing baking itch that may or may not materialize. Um, things like coconut milk, canned pumpkin, um, coconut aminos, um, those kind of things, uh, all the cooking oils. So I order my coconut oil, my olive oil, my avocado oil, spices, basically anything dry that you can ship, um, Thrive or Amazon's going to have, and then they mail it to your house. And then when I get the package, um, I just let the package sit for a day because as far as we know, 24 hours is all it can live on cardboard. And then I open it outside. I bring everything inside and then I wash my hands. Um, you know, and then I go about my day. So that's how I'm doing my pantry stuff. What else, what are you stocking up on Angie? Uh, you know, very similarly, um, we stocked up on some white rice. We stocked up on some, um, white rice noodles. Our family is a really big fan, um, of pho, the mm. d delicious Vietnamese soup. So, um, we got some, uh, white rice noodles for that. Um, we also stocked up on other kinds of gluten-free pasta because, um, the kids do like to eat spaghetti. Um, and so also we got some spaghetti sauce and so they can make spaghetti and that kind of, you know, stretches the other kinds of food that the kids don't like. And I don't want to go to waste, uh, makes it last longer for me and my husband. Um, we stocked up on lentils. Um, we stocked up on other kinds of beans too. Again, I'm not a big um, eater of those kinds of beans, but my husband and the kids tolerate them. And so they're a source if we need it. Um, we have a little bit of canned vegetables and frozen vegetables um, for when the time, you know, the times come that we might not be able to get some of the fresh that we like. Um all the oils, yeah. I'm mostly concentrated on just uh, coconut and olive oil, though. Um, I'm I know that we'll definitely go through that. Um, so that those were the oils that I concentrated on. Some coconut milk, of course, um, for cooking and everything. I got one extra bag of cassava flour um, so that we can do a little baking, and that's a good carb source in a lot of ways. <laughs> so that's there in case. Um, we need to have it, um, a little bit of, um, cold cereals, like gluten-free cold cereals. Again, these are things that kind of stretch for the kids if they need it, you know, kids in their late teens need to eat a lot, but I don't want them to eat like a dozen eggs a day <laughs> for breakfast. So, um, that's how we're stretching things a little bit there for them. Um, oatmeal too, for them. I forgot about canned um, fish. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So we definitely have a little bit of extra tuna. Um, we got extra sardines. Oysters. Um, we have smoked, yep. smoked oysters. We've been eating those a lot and they've been really yeah. good. Yeah. Smoked oysters. Um, we have a fan of mackerel in our house. So we have some mackerel, um, you know, the, those kind of things. And then um, I belong to a meat CSA with my farmer. So I have um, frozen meat um, coming in normally once a month, like it is, you know, that was a really interesting conversation that I had earlier this month with, with my farmer. She said, 
she's really stressed because suddenly she has all these people who want to get in on her meet CSA and she's really excited and happy to serve them. But she's also sad. She said, I feel like these people came out of the woodwork and I don't know if they'll still support me and my, and my farm on the other side of this. And she was like saying that she was really grateful because we've been her customer for like nine years. So, you know, if you're one of those people who's turning to a farmer now, that's awesome. But don't forget them when this is over, you know, they're still out there. They're going to, they're essential, you know, no farms, no food. They're producing that food. So, um, that's where we are with the meat and everything. Yeah, you guys, I've heard from a lot of people that they're really concerned that they can't get their hands on meat in the store. And, you know, the local farms are still open for business. Check Mm -hmm. out eatwild.com. You can put in your zip code or your area and you can find out what local farms are near you. And they are seeing a boom right now because people can't find meat in the stores. So just be patient with them. Don't be irritated if they, like I tried to order some chickens the other day from my local farmer and she has a limit for the first time ever. And at first I was like, how could you? Like I've been a customer forever. Um, But that's how things are now because, you know, that we want to make sure that there's enough to go around and, um, you know, so go directly to your farmer. It's going to put more money in their pocketbook and, and, you know, give them the ability to continue doing it. And then when this is all over, keep buying directly from them. It's the best way to get your hands on high quality meat. Um, But I didn't want to gloss over that seafood thing because like really when we look at nutrient dense shelf stable protein options, you cannot get any better than that. So if you guys are thinking I can't find my chicken um, at the grocery store, just think about the sardines, think about the mackerel, the smoked oysters. It's a great time to uh, start a little, you know, stinky seafood habit, um, Mm -hmm. as we call it in this house and, uh, really, really good for you and provides a lot of nutrients that are critical for the immune system, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But if you guys aren't sure how to prepare some of those foods, um, you know, Meatified, our friend Rachel Bryant over at Meatified.com. She has some great recipes that are really simple and really easy for beginners to learn how to utilize those foods and make them really extra yummy. I think she has some little demonstration videos from a little project I put her up to for my group program a few years ago. So you can go watch those and that's really helpful to learn how to use them if you're not typically utilizing that kind of protein. All right. So in this situation that we find ourselves in where, you know, when you go to the store, they may or may not have the ingredient you're looking for. Um, Some things that I'm doing are trying to go to the store with a list of categories of food that I want instead of like a hard and fast like ingredient list. So some of the categories that I think of are like hearty greens. So kale, chard, collards. And, And basically what I'm thinking here is if I can get my hands on any of those three, great. Um, But I'm not going to just like specifically try to get kale to make a recipe. I'm like, I'm happy if I can find some hearty greens. Um, I'm also looking for salad greens. Um, So things like arugula, lettuce. You guys might find that like the the palatable stuff. So like the regular lettuces are all sold out. And then there's like radicchio and arugula leftover. Guess what? You're going to have a nutrient dense win though, because those things are like way higher in phytonutrients than the other lettuces. So if you have been like afraid to try some new vegetables, you might find that like the weird ugly vegetables are left over and that's still food you can learn how to cook it It might be kind of a a fun project to do during this time 
Um, so I'm also looking for fruit. Again, you know, if I can find apples, great. If I can find bananas, great. Oranges, um, mix and match. But if there's only one type, I might get a bunch of those. And then root vegetables, so things like beets or sweet potatoes, carrots, parsnips, a lot of these things are really interchangeable in different recipes. Um, and then winter squash, I might look for like a pumpkin or a butternut, um, whatever fresh herbs they might have available, um, some spices, so things like fresh garlic, shallots, um, some onions, things you can use to flavor meals and stuff. Um, all of those things are pretty um, awesome to have. And I'm getting a knock on my door. Hello, I'm recording a podcast. Okay, <laughs> thanks, Mom. Love you. I'll probably just leave that in. Um, my mom's I think leaving, you should. My mom's leaving a present for me on my doorstep. And then, so in the same vein, you guys, um, think about protein in those categories. So instead of saying, I need ground beef maybe they have ground bison, maybe they have ground chicken, maybe they have ground turkey or lamb or something. You know, you can mix and match. If you're making a chili, like I've been thinking about recipes more as ideas than recipes. If you're making my my magic chili, you know, and you don't have the root vegetables that I call for, the beets and, and the carrots, maybe you can use sweet potatoes and parsnips. Um, maybe instead of ground beef, you can use ground chicken. Like, a lot of recipes are really flexible and adaptable and you don't need to get pigeonholed into thinking that you have to have exactly the cut of meat that you're asking for. Um, you know, and, um, and then like, so I haven't been sourcing my household and pantry things online from Thrive um, because it just minimizes the time spent shopping. I don't want to be in the store. Um, again, if you guys want to check out Thrive, autoimmunewellness.com dash Thrive is how you're going to get through our affiliate link. But, you know, I really can't recommend them enough. Um, Angie, talk to me a little bit about how you're going into your game plan for grocery shopping. Yeah, pretty similar. I still do like to go in with the idea of getting some of the ingredients for recipes that I might want to be um, making that week or batch cooking that week, but I'm prepared for the flexibility. So for instance, one of the things that I'm batch cooking this week is the beef curry soup from our book, the autoimmune wellness handbook. And that soup calls for parsnips. But guess what? There are no parsnips in my store right now. So I substituted carrots because there were carrots. Um, last week, I couldn't find any kale. There was only chard. This week, there's been some kale. So I'm just ready to make the substitutes where I need to make them and be prepared to, you know, maybe um, have to have an item different than I was planning on. Agree. I agree. Yeah. And I'm, and, you know, and I'm, I'm focusing on the hearty things, you know, I'm focusing on the tubers, the winter squashes, the apples and oranges over, you know, things that go quicker and go bad quicker. I, I, I think we've probably talked about it on the podcast a million times and everybody already knows that I really have a huge issue with food waste it, during this situation. My food waste issue is like at an all time high. So <laughs> yeah, same. I'm uh, I'm on day eight of my grocery run. And yesterday I cleared out my fridge and cooked every single fresh thing in it. And I feel really good, but I'm also like a little anxious to get to the store because that's like not usually how I roll. And I realize how much privilege that is to like always have like fresh fruits and vegetables in your fridge, but um, yeah, no food waste. And that's actually the thing that makes me really upset when I hear about those people spending thousands of dollars at the grocery store is I'm just hoping that they're using all that food, you know, yeah. um, like yeah. really 
if, you, if you're buying a lot of food, just like, please be eating it because please there are don't. a lot of people yeah. that can't find what they're looking for. Exactly. Um, so another thing that's happening, you guys, is, you know, the restaurant industry is like mid collapse um, because, you know, they can't open their doors. And I don't know about you, Angie, but in my area, Portland, you know, a lot of restaurants are still open, um, moving to a new model that are offering takeout or meal prep kits, a lot of really create cool, creative stuff, like shout out if you guys are in Portland, we've got places like Cultured Caveman and Stella's Kitchen and Jewel, um, who are serving the AIP community, have always been serving the AIP community, but they're really like leaning in and ramping up and making things in bulk and jars and um, just offering like curbside, some of them are even doing delivery. If you guys can figure out a way to support them, um, you know, it just means that there's more chance that they're going to be around when this is all over. Um, really, it's going to be clear that a lot of the food industry is going to kind of go under with this pandemic situation because there's so much overhead and such slim margins in running a restaurant. And um, we all know how it feels to, to not have any restaurants that cater to our diet. Angie and I have been around since the way back before there was even one single restaurant that could cater to AIP. And now they have just like blossomed all over the country. So if you guys are in a position to support them by ordering some of these takeout meals or meal prep kits or delivery orders or whatever, jump in and support them. And even like online. So some online options are like Paleo on the Go and Captain Soup. These are frozen meals that you can order online and have them mailed to you. Um, we're big fans of Captain Soup here at Autoimmune Wellness. Um, I used their soups when I um, was recovering from wisdom teeth surgery like a few months ago. Um, and I talked to Brian yesterday and he offered you guys a code autoimmunewellness.com slash soup. Um, or you can just go to captainsoup.com, use the code AIP for me. And that's the number four. Um, that'll get you $15 off. But basically their model is just to create um, ground beef, ground lamb, and really easily digestible um, vegetables and bone broth soups that are single serving. They are the most affordable, um, like convenience AIP meal option I've seen on the market. Um, you order, they come shipped two days later. Um, you can stash them in your freezer and just pull them out, thaw, and you've got like a perfect nutrient dense meal. Having something like that on hand is just awesome for like, for me, I think like if I were to get sick or my husband were to get sick and I just need something to like heat and serve, um, I don't know. Do you have anything stashed in your freezer, Angie, for, for later? Uh, you know what? I have um, a few of those balanced bite meals, mm, balanced mm -hmm. bites meals from our That's friend Diane and Filippo. Yep, yep. I have a few of those um, stashed in there. I've got a lot of broth stashed ready for making soup. I've been making soup basically every week and then, you know, freezing a jar or two. So there's a little bit extra there. Yeah, I call that baking. Um, so, so when you cook something, so I have not had the bandwidth, you guys, for like full on batch cooking. I just, I can't find everything that I need in the store. I'm usually really organized, but like, you know, you go to the store, it's like, what are you going to find? So I've just been buying whatever vegetables they have, coming home, making whatever. But every night at dinner, I make a big dinner and then whatever's extra, not all of it, but like usually a couple portions I put into a jar and exactly what Angie said, I call it banking. You put it in the freezer, you put a little label on it, what it is, 
and that is like money in the bank because when I open my freezer now, I've got you know a couple chicken soups, I got a couple chilies, I got a couple shepherd's pies. Over time, you can easily come up with a week or two of emergency food and then add in you know some some of these frozen solutions from like balanced bites, paleo on the go, captain soup, you know, you might have two or three weeks. Like we don't need to go full prepper. We're not talking about like three months of food, but just like a week or two makes me feel really good. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's kind of the way I've been going. And as far as, you know, where I'm at, you know, I'm outside of DC on the East coast in Maryland. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of those awesome places like cultured caveman and jewel. Um, but even so, because the teens in my house are eat uh, differently than my husband and I do, uh, we've agreed to let them order two meals a week from restaurants in the area that have delivery or takeout options because I don't want to see on the other side of this the total collapse of the restaurant industry in our area, even if I don't eat at all those places. I know that they represent jobs for people and part of the economy that's important here. So I'm making that compromise in our household right now because I want to figure out how to continue to support them, even if it's just a little bit. Yeah. And I also think that's a good lesson in recognizing which family members might need the food that is like really high, like high nutrient and like has specific ingredients and realizing that if you're trying to feed everybody that way, like it's a good lesson for people that maybe have big families and family members that are much more flexible. Like my husband eats a much more flexible diet than I do. And recognizing that if he can source some food that is different than mine, that actually decreases the pressure a lot too within the household that I have to cook, you know? And you know, also, honestly, in our household, it's also about some psychological well-being. You know, they're used to going out with their friends and, you know, going to those restaurants and doing those kinds of things. And, um, you know, this is a big, huge adjustment. And I don't need to add a massive dietary overall, uh, overhaul to their adjustment on top of everything, you know. So this is like a little piece that helps them kind of maintain some normalcy. All right, so we're going to transition to talk about um, preparedness of the physical nature. So basically, how do we maintain our health uh, during a global pandemic? Um, you know, <laughs> this is this is the question, you guys. Keep question of the night. hour. Um, so really, the first thing that I want to say is, you know, I've heard from a lot of people, a lot of friends with autoimmune disease like myself, who are saying things like you know, we are high risk because we have autoimmune disease in general, um, or that autoimmune disease is an underlying condition that really makes people high risk for complications with the virus or something that we need to worry about. Um, I actually don't think that that's true from what I've learned. You guys can go to the the article that Dr. Abbott wrote for the autoimmune wellness web- website on COVID-19. is super informative, and he really laid out why um, autoimmune disease, especially people who are well-managed in autoimmune disease. So a lot of us in this community are eating really well. Um, some of us have reduced our medications. We've reduced some of like the complicating factors that come along with our autoimmune disease. We've increased our nutrient density. Um, and that's not to say that if you are not in a state of perfect health, that um, that 
you know, you're not in this category, you know, autoimmune disease is something that like, we're all working very hard to manage for the rest of our lives. It's, you know, we're not all like cured or in remission over here talking, but I really don't, um, I don't want people to be scared thinking that just simply having an autoimmune disease is something that they need to like, worry about amongst all of this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, that, careful management and doing everything you can to build a healthy diet and lifestyle to help support having robust health despite autoimmune disease, that might also honestly extend even into taking some of the medications that may be considered somewhat risky. You know, our friend, Dr. Billy Mitchell, he is a naturopath who specializes in rheumatology in Arizona. And he was just sharing um, yesterday on his Instagram account that um, actually in some cases, the medication that his RA patients are taking is actually helping them have a baseline of health, which is, you know, somewhat preventative for them in terms of getting ill. So, you know, it's not just um, the dietary and lifestyle steps that we're all taking, which are amazing and definitely give us a good basis. But, you know, for some of you who have to use some of the conventional approaches, they may be also helping you. Yeah, I think that distinction between, you know, an unmanaged autoimmune disease with rampant inflammation and pain, um, but maybe the person isn't on a medication and then the person who could be experiencing that but instead is on a medication that might be tweaking their immune system, you're right, they might be in a better situation to fighting the virus because they're overall stronger and healthier. So it's not you know, the, the risk is not, um, it, you can't just assume and that because you have an autoimmune disease, like we need to be like, you know, um, scared. Um, and I do want to have one caveat for people that do have some specific autoimmune diseases that make them high risk or are on some specific medications. Like you definitely want to talk to your doctor, um, you know, especially people who like have lung involvement. I definitely think it, you know, there, there's a spectrum, um, and there are people that, you know, should be more worried than others and, you know, really involving a healthcare provider early and mm -hmm. asking your doctor that knows your medical history, your medical record, your imaging, and really where the, the weak point for you is and how they can support you through right now, instead of just making this broad assumption that like, oh, I have Hashimoto's, like this thing's going to kill me, <laughs> you know? Yes, exactly. Um, you know, also you guys, if you want to have a hopeful example of actually becoming infected with COVID-19, um, definitely proven, um, positive test result, went through it and is okay. And is somebody in our community who utilizes AIP, has an autoimmune disease and also utilizes medication, um, go check out Sweetened by Nature on Instagram. Um, she's a young doc who's in our community and she got infected. We don't know if that happened at the hospital or in some other area, you know, with her work, but um, she's coming out the other side and she's doing okay. This doesn't mean that we're bulletproof, um, but it shows that we don't also need to be living in complete and utter terror just because we have an autoimmune disease or just because we have an autoimmune disease and need a medication, et cetera. Yeah. If anything, for me, um, you know, I went through a period where I thought I might have it because my husband's exposure at work and you know he was getting tested and everything so we we tried on that like well we could have it and because the test took so long to get it was actually a while um and really getting over that hump of of thinking 
okay, I have it. This is, this is what it might be like. And instead of feeling scared, like I was going to end up the person in the hospital on the ventilator, I, I thought I'm powerful. I'm strong. I have the resilience. My body can fight this. I have been, you know, living the last 10 years of my life, really trying to take care of my immune system. And like, I'm ready for it, you know? And I found that shift, like, and it turned out I didn't have it, but I hope that if I get it, I go there. You know, I think that that's a really powerful place to undertake healing is, is from a position of possibility, a position of hope, a position of strength, um, and not perfection, you know, don't get them confused, but just having that feeling like faith in yourself and your body and in your capacity to heal, because really that's what happens when people get this, their body has to deal with it, you know? Um, and the things that we do with AIP, I mean, the, the autoimmune protocol is a diet that is specifically designed to modulate the immune system and it's help strengthen and, yes. and dampen at the same time. So what we do in this diet is we're flushing all these nutrients that are just critical, critical for the immune system, vitamin A, vitamin D, zinc, B vitamins, iron. I mean, you could not eat a better diet for basically for anyone who is going to be taking on any kind of physical undertaking or physical challenge. So I just want you guys, like if you eat AIP or close to AIP, if you can't do AIP right now, just bringing in nutrient density. The nutrient density is the thing that is so powerful. And it's why this disease, this diet works for helping manage so many of our diseases, but also why I think it puts us in a really strong position for healing from something like COVID-19, you know? Um, And beyond the food, you know, there's other things that we do as a part of this protocol and this lifestyle other than diet that are so important. So, you know, sleep, stress management, movement, connection, you know, we've, we've written extensively in our books, talked about on the podcast, just all of the ways that these things help the immune system. It's why they help us come out of flares when we're having flares of our autoimmune diseases. But I also think that it's helping build strength, um, in the face of this type of illness. So, um, Angie, I thought it might be helpful to just chat a little bit about what you and I are doing personally, kind of in, we've talked a lot about diet. I think people are pretty um, informed just about how we've relaxed maybe a little bit um, on what we were doing with um, food. And actually, I would say, I would add to that, like, I'm up really thinking about nutrient density. So I'm, I'm thinking less about like, I need to avoid specific things like maybe some legumes or some rice. And I'm thinking like, I'm eating the sardines and, and the oysters and the pate and stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. I've relaxed my standards in a lot of ways, you know, eating more rice, things like that. But um, I've really upped the nutrient density. I think I've had three weeks now of, uh, pate and greens for breakfast with sauerkraut, you know? So what do you, let's talk about sleep. How, how's your sleep girl? Yeah. You know, I'm obviously I'm doing everything possible to protect my sleep, but it doesn't always work in yeah. this situation, right? Like I gave an example earlier in the podcast about trying to make sure that I'm just open and ready to connect with friends and family when they need it. And um, one of the things that that meant is that I took a phone call from my best friend at 1230 at night because it was in the middle of the day for her and she was having a hard day. 
Um, so sometimes that's, you know, maybe not working perfectly. Some nights I'm feeling really worried, you know, and that's keeping me awake. Um, it's hard to stay away from the news and other things, you know, right now it feels like every day so far in 2020, it's like, what now, you know, like, am I going to wake up and find out that like Godzilla is attacking us tomorrow? I don't know. It just, so it feels like you want to keep checking in rather than focusing on your sleep, but as much as possible, I'm trying to really rest. So, um, an example is that like, I'm sleeping in much later than I normally would, um, because maybe I haven't had the best sleep at night. And I'm just telling myself like, it's okay that I'm starting my work day later than I normally would. Um, I need to focus on that kind of rest. Yeah, same. I'm just, you know, I am having a crash in the middle of the afternoon and I, it's not an energetic crash. It's like a depression type of crash just from the overwhelm. And early on I was taking naps, but the naps then started interfering with my sleep. So Mm -hmm. right now I'm trying to break that cycle in the afternoon and, you know, jump on the phone with someone that like really lifts my energy or go outside or, you know, do a little mobility exercise, something to just kind of like interrupt that cycle. But for me, that's been the thing that I've had to overcome is just the resist the urge to take a nap. Um, Mm Yeah, it's been a little, yeah, been a little tricky, but you know, I actually, once I get my brain calmed down, like, um, you know, I'm, I'm using guided meditations. Like you guys are going to be like, this is ridiculous, but I listen to maybe 30 minutes, sometimes up to an hour of guided body scan going to bed. Cause it takes me about an hour to an hour and a half to actually fall asleep. And my poor husband, I'm, I'm now just like listening to them like out loud instead of in headphones or whatever because I can't fall asleep with the headphones he's just like given up on like you know chit chat before bed or whatever he's just like and then we do the meditation and he's always snoring before like I'm on the second foot or whatever but you know it's I've now built that into my schedule and like I'm okay with it if it takes me that long to unwind from the day and that time is spent resting I'm not like stressing about how long it's taking me to fall asleep I'm not feeling any shame about like relying on that um but it is working for me because once I actually get to sleep my sleep is actually quality like I'm waking up and I'm sleeping through the night and feeling rested so you know whatever um you know you guys need to do take a bath you know shut off the news at a certain hour um I'll be honest I'm not shutting off the news I just I can't (laughs) you know so maybe maybe we can build some accountability on that if you're like friends with me in real life just text me and be like don't look at the news um (laughs) Um, but yeah, the sleep thing, it, it really, for me, is the linchpin to all the other things. It, everything seems easier when I get enough sleep. So, How about stress management? You know, um, you know, the meditation before bed is I'm doing it then because it's helping me sleep, but I really could use it during the day. I would say that connecting with people, like the connection and stress management are connected to me. The days where I get, um, like we've been using Marco Polo for the last week, get on there, get see my friends, you know, be able to vent a little bit, but also see like good things that are happening for them and get a little FaceTime. That's been really helping me manage my stress. And it makes me realize that like, I'm not trying to carry this burden of what's going on in the world alone. Cause a lot of times it feels like 
there's so many people going on with their lives and and we're just like you know we got this keyhole view through like instagram or facebook or whatever but it can be tempting to be like oh my god everybody else isn't panicking too like something's wrong and just checking in with everyone and being like oh yeah you're panicking too like right now we can laugh about a meme but like you know we're in it that's mm-hmm. been really helping me manage my stress yeah for sure um i'm doing meditations a couple times a day whenever i need to do them i try to start the day with one um my husband and i attend a really small church that uh, obviously went online and that's been really helpful for us every sunday to kind of check in there that helped kind of manage our stress reset us on sunday um you know I've been writing um, kind of about the experience and all the different kinds of emotions. And I've been posting that for a lot of personal friends. And I started today kind of sharing it um, on my public account, too. I think um, having somebody publicly saying that they're having all these normal reactions in an abnormal situation helps everybody put it in perspective. And it's stress relieving for me to write it. So that's something that I've been doing. Um, and try yeah i'm trying to have some good gates and good boundaries around consumption of of the news and the information that's coming out some days i'm having success other days i'm having less success so still working on that one's probably going to be a months months in process project <laughs> um how about movement mickey yeah i have really been enjoying getting some exercise i think partially because I've had a lot of free time um, because of everything that's going on. I'm just less focused and I'm less able to work and I'm I'm trying not to force myself to work. So having some time to like do the mobility work, do some stretching, you know, when the weather's nice, getting out for some walks. Um, I've been doing some sessions with one of my favorite personal trainers who, you know, if you guys have in your world like people that offer services maybe classes you know you got to think like our hairdressers our our gym coaches all these people are out of work right now so you know doing virtual sessions um i've been really enjoying that and just trying to gently work on building some strength I just find like it's really getting my mind off of everything that's going on. And as long as I'm careful not to overdo it, because I do have a history of kind of over exercising. I know that's really the U-shaped curve with autoimmune disease and exercise. You guys have heard us talk about that before. If if you're um, familiar with this podcast, you know that, you know, too little exercise is not good for the immune system. Too much exercise is not good. So I find myself maybe a little bit towards the too much because I think it's providing a healthy outlet for me and I have the time for it, but I'm, I'm trying to keep it in check, but it's been feeling really good. How about yeah. you? Yeah. I mean, um, I've been kind of dropping everything and heading out on a walk as often as I can, you know, like yesterday I really needed to be working on some stuff for us. Um, but my daughter was like, mom, please come on a walk with me. And so I just stopped and I went on a 45 minute walk with her. And normally I probably would have been like, no, no, I got to get this thing done for autoimmune wellness, you know, but right now I'm like, okay, just, you know, she needs connection. It's good for both of us to physically move our bodies and try to let go of some stress that way. And so 
That's well, what honestly, doing. you guys, like, and I mean, when we were writing the autoimmune wellness handbook, we came across this research that, like, being outside in a natural environment, it can be a park, but just, like, grass and trees is balancing to your immune system. I know mm-hmm. that seems, like, mm-hmm. wild, but the Japanese have done tons of studies showing that short exposures to a natural environment... Um, like the outdoors, the forest bathing is really supportive of our immune system. So like if you're craving, you know, some nature, like I know it's a little bit tricky right now, but we should be able to, you know, find a park, find somewhere, um, hopefully with not a lot of people. And, you know, if there are people on a trail, give people space, you know, you can go out for a walk safely as long as you maintain the six foot distance, you know? Right, right, right. Well, and then the last thing is connection, you know, and I I think we talked a little bit about this, um, but if you're an extrovert, you know, you might be having a hard time right now with that connection piece. I'm an introvert, so I feel actually like I've had a lot more connection than I normally do just because all of the extroverts in my, in my circle are like slightly losing their minds. And I'm like, uh Oh, I got, I got to make sure I check in with them. Um, but yeah, what have you been doing to just like stay connected other than like using all the apps and feeling teched out. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been doing all that stuff and at the moment that's been okay. You know, I've been, um, taking the phone calls from the friends who need to cry and have, have a freak out. I've been, um, you know, as much as possible taking moments to laugh too. I think laughter is really healthy in a situation like this actually. Um, so I utilize that a lot. I, I, I'm actually feeling really good about connection and I really hope that we continue as a society to prioritize this on the other side. Yeah. I think a lot of people are waking up to, um, how you can maintain connection without physical, um, presence. I think you and I are, and actually probably most people in this autoimmune community, because we've had to find connection in an unconventional way due to like something like an autoimmune disease, which it's harder to connect with people in our real lives about. Maybe this comes a little bit more naturally to us running online businesses, doing social media and stuff. But I've had a lot of people in my life that I'm connecting with in unconventional ways and new to them ways, just because this um, situation has pushed them outside the bounds of what they would normally do or try. Um, like my 92 year old grandpa has been sending, um, texts with affect on the iPhone. So, and I'm just like, I'm like, my grandpa can like, he's figuring out how to like draw hearts and and things and send them. And I'm just like, those moments are so precious. And, um, you know, technology can be really tricky for our brains to manage sometimes, but also it can really expand a lot, um, when we figure out how to use it for authentic connection. So yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. This is all the upside of technology and social media. And I like that part. (laughs) Yep. So, you know, and we really wanted to reiterate, you know, to you guys that like most of these things that are really powerful for helping support immunity are accessible and free. And you guys are probably, they're on your radar. A lot of you guys in the AIP community are probably already eating in a way that's really supportive of health. You probably have a lot of these lifestyle practices that you're doing. So guess what? You probably don't need to do more 
You probably mm-hmm. don't need to go out and buy a bunch of things. Like, you don't mm-hmm. need to buy a sauna because you think it's going to cure you of COVID. Like, you don't need to go buy a bunch of supplements that are, like, out of stock or whatever and panic mm-hmm. that you need to have something to prepare yourself. You guys mm-hmm. have those tools within you. Mm-hmm. And, and you have mm-hmm. the skills um, to kind of determine what foods work for you, what practices work for you, um, you know. That's my thought on preparedness. And also, you know, Angie and I have noticed this with the Ebola outbreak in 2014. We've been in the AIP community since before then. And back then, there were people that came out and said they were experts and tried to sell supplement and essential oil protocols and things like that. And just like a warning, if there's anyone you follow that's emailing you and using fear to push you through to buy supplements, to buy essential oils, to join an MLM, to even um, make you feel like they're an expert and they're the only one that knows. Here's the thing, this virus is new. Nobody knew about it before the new year. Nobody knows what will cure it. We don't, we don't you know, we're, we're in the, the information seeking stage. And even the doctors who have successfully treated patients in China, a lot of, you know, they're doing a lot of work with traditional Chinese medicine. Um, there's some different like physical therapies and breathing things that they integrated with conventional medicine that are super interesting. But if anyone is saying, I know all the reports from China, I know how they did it. And I'm going to like be the expert and tell everybody how they're, you know, going to do with this um you know be wary you know don't follow anyone who's using fear to sell you things who's going to tell you you need to like be prepared and especially people who want you to buy things right now um you know be on the lookout so that's what i have to say about that yeah i mean i don't think again i don't think that this means that just because um you know people are selling their services or their products during a time like this, that they're automatically terrible people or anything. Um, and they may be providing something that's really helpful for you, but just look at it through the lens of how it makes you feel, you know, does that person seem genuinely helpful and, um, you know, willing to, to empower you and, and, you know, find ways to help you get through this situation in a, in a positive way, or does it make you feel afraid does it make you feel like you don't have the capacity to handle uh, what is happening or what's still to come? Like those kinds of feelings are a good indicator that maybe that's not the right service or, or product to interact with. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I want to make it clear, like, you know, a lot of people that work online are having some financial issues and, and you know, it's it's hard to strike that balance between offering something that is supporting people in this time and like kind of offering up like panic and like quick fixes and magic pills. And so that's kind of the category of thing that I'm warning people about is like, you know, um, that we know of there is not like one thing that's just going to like guarantee that you don't like get super sick with this other than staying in your house and not leaving. <laughs> so just a reminder, you guys, like the nutrient dense diet, the lifestyle is so powerful. It's like five billion times more powerful than, um, than most other things 
um, you could do and you have that in your toolbox. Most of that is free. Um, the mental health piece, staying positive, believing you can fight it, that is so important. So if you find yourself really going into a downward spiral, um, you know, it's been a roller coaster right now. Angie and I, well, I can't speak for Angie, but I'm having a good day so far. Um, I had a little workout this morning. I did a little meditation. I had some pate for breakfast. I'm feeling on the up. But 3 p.m. comes around, you know, it might be hard. So if that's you too, it's normal. We're all going through this together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, so, Mickey, maybe um, towards the end of this emergency pod, we should talk a little bit about falling into the trap of comparing suffering and, like, other ways to kind of keep the mental and emotional game strong. Yeah, you know, one thing that I think it's really tempting to do when there's a situation like this is everybody is so impacted in really different ways that it it can be really tempting to try and compare your suffering with other people just because like you might even be listening to us and being like, yeah, but like, you know, you guys didn't lose jobs or you guys aren't personally sick or, you know, whatever you're personally going through might feel like it's so much worse than what other people are going through. And I really don't think that that's productive right now. You know, like a lot of people have lost their jobs. Like the financial piece might be more stressful and more pressing than the actual health implications. I mean, some people have their kids home and have like a complete overwhelm and chaotic home life just because that disruption is something that they're having a really hard time handling. Um, Some people have medical issues that are not important enough to be to be dealing with right now or even just like refilling medications i just had a client who couldn't get her medication because it's on that list of things that might work for this virus so there's like kind of hoarding and stockpiling going on and like that's something that they depend on um i had a really hard time refilling my thyroid medication you know some people are actually directly on the front lines and they're the ones that are interacting with people with the virus every day Um, You know, people like my husband, but even beyond that, the ER doctors, the nurses, I mean, every single day they're in incredible stress making life or death decisions and exposing themselves. Um, Some people are the support players. So like being the person at home and not being the person on the front line, that's kind of my experience right now. Um, Some people like our friend in in the AIP community, Sweetened by Nature, um, you know, they have the virus and they're actually sick. And so they're having to to figure out how to take care of themselves and get through that. Um, Some have loved ones that they're caring for, maybe within their own house or across the country. I have an uncle who is across country in Florida who has the virus right now and is trying to recover. So, you know, we don't really know what each of us is going through. And when you see people in the grocery store and they're scared, um, you don't know, you don't know that person's story. You don't know what they're going through. And I think reframing that into just realizing that this is an unprecedented time of collective pain and asking ourselves instead of like who's suffering the most is how we can be of service to the people that we love and in our communities. Um, you know, and the answer to that question is going to be different for everyone. Um, for me, what I'm really trying to do is. I'm in a position where I can support some of the service workers in my life that have provided me a lot of healing and and a lot of benefit through the services they offer. So, you know, like I'm still paying my massage therapist, um, my hairdresser, um, you know, the people who 
I've employed in the past that they've they've had their income completely go away. Um, you know, I don't know how long I can keep doing that, but that is something that's helping me. I'm trying to help my support my local restaurants, you know, by ordering takeout or ordering meal prep kits, even though I have the capability to make some of that stuff at home. I want them to be there when I come out the other side. Um, you know, there's a lot of different charities and, and different areas of giving that, you know, people can donate to that I'm donating to in my community. Um, and I'm just like on the lookout for how I can help people being in the position that I'm in, you know, even from like people on next door who are like, hey, I'm, I'm depositing cans, you know, I'm quarantining, collecting cans and, and leaving people out for that. I mean, it's those little things that really add up and snowball and, um, and really if we are all doing this for each other and being there for each other. I mean, even up to like, you know, the the CEOs that are like not taking pay and still paying all their employees. Like, you know, we, we might not be able to do something on that level, but the things that we do have in our sphere and in our control collectively add up to a lot, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the feeling that you can you can contribute in all the different ways. All the small things makes a big difference. Um, over here, you know, like I, like I mentioned early in the podcast, um, we, we are having somebody social distance in our home who's not a member of our family, but to help ease the financial strain on his family. Um, we're picking up groceries when we do our grocery run for an elderly couple from our church. Um, his wife has COPD and she can't go out and she doesn't want him to go out because the exposure would be so risky for them. You know, they're also in their eighties. So we're doing that for them. Um, you know, I really steeply discounted all my programs so that I can hopefully continue to be of service to my group members. I've been, you know, on the fly figuring out how to change the focus in our groups to support people um, as, as we all go through this together. You know, those are the kind of things that that we can do and try to try to help. You know, I think there's this other concept um, that I wanted to mention to you guys before we wrap this up. There's a book by Malcolm Gladwell called David and Goliath, and I've written about the concepts in that book for the autoimmune wellness uh, website before. If you want to look at that blog post, it's called The Advantages of Disadvantages. Um, and I wrote at the time um, about this in light of having autoimmune disease and some of the advantages and the capacity that you can build up actually by having to go through living with a chronic illness that you're going to manage for the rest of your life. But Gladwell's book focuses a lot on how people got through the the disadvantage of going through World War II together and what that meant. And one of the examples he gives is how people kind of daily went through the near misses of having their lives threatened and what how that built resilience and community and this is in many ways very similar. And I think um, exploring that concept and thinking about how that could build your personal resilience and what that means to the community might be worthwhile in a time like this. Yeah, I love that piece too. And I also want to mention too, for people that are like feeling sick and like they can't do anything, like being home is a part of the solution too. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of like all of us staying home. This is like a collective heavy lift for humanity that we're all making. That's incredible, actually. It's an act of service to stay home. <laughs> for sure. 
For sure. Yeah. So I think that perspective too, when a lot of people, you know, maybe you're not in like the financial situation where you can give or you don't like have time or or goods or energy or whatever, but like the staying home is, is a gift to humanity right now. And, and so that's great, you know? Um, so we love you guys. We want to support you. You know, we're, we're here for you. The AIP community is super strong and, you know, the greater world, you know, we're, we've been through a lot together and hopefully we're going to hack this and figure it out. And, uh, and we really hope that this podcast helped infuse you guys with some positivity and, and some support and some good vibes and, uh, you know, and some non-panicked calm perspective. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's okay every once in a while to have a moment because like it means you're human. I, I don't know that you can be confronted with what's going on and not, you know, feel really heavy. Um, but also you don't have to live there right now. You know, it, we're going to get through this together um, by a lot of people putting on their big girl panties and the big boy panties um, or their big they panties. And they're just like going to get out there and, uh, and, and get some stuff done and, uh, you know, take care of each other. So Hope everyone stays safe, and uh, we still have plans to record a podcast like normally at some point, and right now we might actually have the time because of everything that's going on, so we have maybe that to look forward to. So Angie's, we're, we, we can see each other on FaceTime right now. She's giving me the look like, don't promise anything that we can't <laughs> keep. <laughs> so... Uh, talk some my mom my mom vibe is coming out mickey my mom vibe that's like careful what you promise these kids okay there's no promises <laughs> but i'm just saying the podcasting the forecast for podcasting is looking a little better now that uh you know what's going on so anyways talk sometime bye guys okay. bye guys <laughs>